Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. It's been said that evil often looks like a great opportunity. The Bible says even the devil himself can look like an angel of light. So how do we tell what is truth and what is a counterfeit? This week's message from Pastor Brad Wells will give you a three-part test of false teachers that examines their message, methods, and motives. Listen closely to this instructive sermon from 2 Peter chapter 2 called, How to Spot a Fake. Take your Bibles, go to 2 Peter chapter number 2, 2 Peter chapter number 2. Today, we are going to be talking about how to spot a fake. I read several articles this week about counterfeiting, and believe it or not, it is on the rise. It's always been a big deal, uh, but it is on the rise. They say that uh, well, one article that was written a few years ago, they said by 2022 that we would see $3 trillion in financial loss because of, of counterfeiting, and we have actually exceeded that. Fraudulent retail sales have went from 10% online to more than 30%. It's a big, big deal. As a matter of fact, one of these lines here, yes, 5.4 million jobs have been lost uh, in 2022. So, just absolutely incredible. And then this, this article gave um, three little steps. Well, I gave several steps, but three were, were fairly good. One, educate your customers about what your product looks like. Uh, two, track the product origins. And then use blockchain technology uh, solutions to, to really find out where everything has been and where it's coming through. Um, as you might have seen on the, the video we did at the beginning, uh, the most counterfeited thing in the world is the $100 bill, and then second is the $20 bill, but that's number one in the United States. Consumer goods, what's the number one counterfeited consumer good? What do you think it is? Designer bags was number two. Number two, but that's close. Number one is... Phones, not phones. Shoes. Shoes is number one. And um, last year uh, in New York City, they busted 43 container loads of shoes, mostly uh, Nike and Air Jordans and these sort of things coming in. And the interesting thing is uh, consumers, most of them can't distinguish between the two elements. As a matter of fact, that $1 bill in your pocket might be fake. I don't know. How would you know? But the cash in your wallet isn't nearly as important as the faith in your heart. And that's what we want to talk about today. Our title, How to Spot a Fake. And we'll be talking about fraudulent faith, counterfeit Christians, and synthetic salvation. 2 Peter chapter number 2, it's a strong message from a, a very strong man, uh, Peter. And, and the first three verses, we'll, we'll look at the first 10 verses together, but the first three verses we'll read uh, for now, and then we'll pray. 
but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, that means secretly, slyly, seductively, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse number two, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. By the way, pernicious means they're destructive, but in a very subtle way that you don't really realize what's going on. Verse number three, and through covetousness, they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Father, we read these very stern words, and we want to heed this warning. I pray that you would open our minds and hearts to your spirit and and direct us into your word. Help us to understand it. And Lord, help us to be able to spot the fake without becoming overly critical without becoming corrupted ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone listening and viewing online. We're so thankful for them. And then, of course, everyone here. Father, bless us and help us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, you know, there's there is no greater crime in all the world, well, in all the Bible, no greater crime than to be a false prophet or a, or a false teacher. As a matter of fact, just would you jot down next to 2 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 1, Deuteronomy 18 and verse number 20. Deuteronomy 18 and verse number 20. And it says this, But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, that is God's name, which I have not commanded, God didn't decree this, commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall what? Die. It's a very, very serious crime. And and God did not want fakes in the pulpit, false teachers and preachers. See, the greatest judgment for all those in leadership is the greatest condemnation is for those that tell lies and teach lies, and then the worst thing is traffic lies. And so today, not necessarily a feel-good message. Uh, We've got 100, we've got a 20, but that's about the best, the nicest thing we're going to (laughs) say. And uh, it's really a warning. It's a warning to God's people to be aware uh, to watch out, uh, to be aware of what's happening in our hearts. You know, false religion is as old as Eden. And there's basically two religions in the world. And it's the true and it's the false. Uh, the false is what we can do for God to please him. That's the religion of Cain. And it has permeated down through the millenniums down to us today. And the true religion is what God has done for us. And that's the religion of Abel. And that's the religion of Jesus Christ. 
And so we need to be very, very careful and aware. Second Corinthians chapter number 11, a sister passage of this, verses number 13 through 15 says this, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. That is the word feigning, that is trying to look good instead of trying to be good. Verse number 14 says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. See, oftentimes when you look for the devil, you're looking for a guy with horns and a red suit, a bad breath, and a pitchfork. But Satan doesn't appear that way. He's very attractive, very um, intelligent. Matter, matter of fact, evil often looks like a great opportunity. And so we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, God doesn't want us to be all bent over like a question mark. I believe a, a good Christian that's filled with the Spirit of God, reading the Word of God, their life should look uh, uh, straight up like an exclamation point, standing at attention, proclaiming the truth. Look at verse number 15 here. Therefore, it is no great thing Therefore, it is, it is no great thing if his ministers, that's the devil's ministers, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So a warning today from Peter, and we don't get the opportunity to uh, pick and select the topics that God brings forth to us. Uh, we, we get the, the wonderful blessing of just following the word of God. God is looking for followers. By the way, our main concern is not so much my leadership skills, which is important, but our main concern is my following of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a close follower of Christ, you will be a great leader of men and women and your society, which is important. God is looking for leaders, but you'll never be able to really recognize your followers too much as you're focused on Christ, as you're taking each one of those steps, following the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, you'll have the opportunity to glance back and, my goodness, look at all these people that are following me as I'm following Christ. And that is what we want every single day. When you look for the devil, don't look for sinister, evil, malicious uh, hateful things, although he very much so is. Actually, the devil often begins to work in leaders and influencers. Matter of fact, the text here is speaking directly of this pulpit. And so it is absolutely important for me to realize that Peter is warning the people against any sort of false preacher, pretend preachers. Notice in the words, verses 1 through 3, as we develop, the word heresy is there. And heresy really means to present an option, to lay down next to the truth a lie that seeks to divide and bring a following to its own side. It's a choice, an option, a lifestyle option. And I've said this before, and I want to say it today again. It's better to be divided by truth than united by error. I want to quote Martin Luther. And he said this, I do not want to know anything of peace and concord 
when the word of God is thereby lost and the word eternal life and everything else is forfeited, it is not right for me here to draw back and give way out of love toward you or toward any other man, but before the word, everyone must give way. You know what he's saying there? He's saying we don't have to get along with everybody. You remember when your mom used to tell you, you're not doing that, and you said, well, everyone else is, and she said, I know one person that's not. <laughs> that's what God is looking for, somebody that will dare to do right, somebody that will dare to stand against the crowd and not have to go along with what everyone else is doing. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 this is just introductory thoughts here. First Timothy 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, that is the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That is, there will be, there always has been, but there will be, especially in the last days, a spirit, a a whole direction of, of influence that is actually coming not from human minds, but from the winds of hell. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, and seduction is something that isn't good, looks really good, very attractive, very persuasive. That's what's going on. Now, I want to give you three points here, three points here. And uh, Joe was telling me that... Uh, one of the secrets to a good message is you, you're able to bring things home. And it's kind of like going to the grocery store. You want, you want to get all these groceries, but you need those bags to kind of help you. So the three points, they're not the word of God, but they're the grocery bags that will help you carry the word of God back home. So our first point here, uh, as we try to identify a counterfeit, how do I identify a counterfeit? We're going to look at these three things. One, the message. Two, the method. And three, the motive. First, the message. The message. And this is found in verse number one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And here it is, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. That is the message. The key and most important thing that must be analyzed is the message. Now, I want to give you five specific uh, ways to analyze, or five specific steps in your analysis of that message. And the first one is the Bible as the source. You must identify the Bible as the source of the message. As you're analyzing, is this real? Is this false? Is this counterfeit or is it authentic? And we desperately need authentic Christianity. One, is the Bible the source or is this pop culture? And then we're just kind of standing it up or supporting it with the word of God. The great danger is the devil often uses God's words and his dictionary. That is, using a word that might sound biblical, um, same word as God, but a different meaning, redefining something. So make sure, number one, the Bible is the source. Number two, Jesus as the Savior. You need to make sure that Jesus is the Savior. 
Now, there's lots of heroes, and as leaders and influencers begin to spin their message, be aware if they become the hero, they become sort of the Messiah. That's a false prophet. That is, uh, that is deceitful. Number three, the gospel as the subject. The gospel is the subject. And the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 2. I determined not to know anything among you, and say it with me, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, this is very significant. I've told you that Apostle Paul was the equivalent of a triple doctorate. That means he knew a lot. He had studied, and at the feet of a very prominent man, the most prominent man of his day, Gamaliel, who is still reverenced and followed today. Paul learned from him being a direct pupil from him. But he said, you know what? I don't want to know anything except for the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to present the clear truth. So we must have the gospel as the subject. Now, number four, number four. Grace as the means of salvation. We are analyzing a message that we hear that somebody would be presenting. And there are many great influencers and very entertaining uh, personalities and presentations. But is grace the means of salvation? Because if grace, that is God's riches at Christ's expense, is not the means of salvation, what happens is you take away the whosoever out of the Bible. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What that simply means is it's got, it has to be, the message has to be the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when I or anyone else sets up the means of progress and, uh, and salvation, anything but the grace of God, somebody will be the benefactor besides God. And it'll probably be me or somebody else that is renamed, but it's still me. And that's the danger. We'll get to that in a second. So number one is the Bible as the source. Number two is Jesus as the Savior. Number three is gospel as the subject. Number four is grace, the means of salvation. And now number five, the goal is sanctification. The goal is sanctification. Sanctification is simply a big word that means holiness, God-likeness. We are to be holy before the Lord. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and to save us from our sin. Now, there's another message out there, that, and that is simply that God, uh, that Christ died for us to give us grace so that uh, we can be forgiven and we can basically stay in our sin but just feel better about it. That's not the right message. God delivers anyone from anything. That's the message of the grace of God. That's the gospel. So the gospel as the subject, that doesn't mean that there's not other subjects. Obviously, today's message is a warning about how to spot a fake. But the gospel as the subject, 
the gospel is God, the creator, rescues man. That's the gospel. And how did he do it? He did it through the Messiah. The goal is sanctification. Realize this. Apostasy and immorality worship together in unity. Apostasy and immorality worship together in unity. What that simply means is humanity will always worship. I, I love people. I love cultures and languages and all these different festivities. But you will study in vain to find a people that have no worship. People worship. People worship. What is worship? Worship is, is anything that you do to, to elevate something above you. This is greater than me. This is greater than me and is worthy of my allegiance. It is worthy of my life. It is worthy of me following and obeying and submitting to. And we are made to be worshipers, worshipers of God. And so there is a, a huge network, and there always has been, of false prophets that are coming in and trying to steal that worship. So what is God interested in? Gold, oil, platinum, uranium, enriched uranium. You know what God's interested in? He's interested in worship. And worship must be mined from the hearts of men. By the way, that's what the devil's interested in. The devil is interested in worship. And so there is false worship coming out of the hearts of men and true worship. In um, 2 Timothy, Apostle Paul wrote to this young preacher, chapter 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're talking about the message of a fake. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, Timothy was a leader. He's a young leader. And God is, uh, God is talking to Timothy through his mentor, Apostle Paul. He says, the time is coming. The time is coming when people aren't going to put up with solid, sound, true teaching about what to do in life. The gospel is about going with the message of truth. Doctrine is about living or what to do with God's eternal truth. That is the message. How do you identify a counterfeit? Number one, by their message. Number two, by their method. Everybody rolling with me a little bit here? Everyone's rolling? By their method. Now, notice here it says feigned words. Feigned. Feigned comes from the, uh, the Greek word plastos, which is where we get our word plastic. It simply means simulated fabricated, pretended, means insincere. It means pliable. That means you can't, you can't get a hold of it. You can't quite understand it. You can't pin them down. It's like trying to get a hold of a watermelon seed on the counter. It's going to always squirt away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to escape. What is the method of these counterfeiters? Well, three quick things. It's secret or sly. Notice the word privily there, 
privily shall bring in damnable heresies, secret or sly. As I already described, privily means to, to lay an option alongside. You don't have to do this. You can actually do this. And look, there's a whole following that, that does that. Notice the word heresies. Heresies means separate. Now, God wants his people to be separated from wickedness. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be void of influence. And, and uh, you, some people get the mistaken idea you have to live in a hole to be holy. That's not true. God, God wants his people to be right out into the, into the public square making a difference. And Deborah and I try to take all sorts of measures to, to make it into that public square. By the way, I'm so uh, thankful that we have uh, uh, been organizing this little operation, Meet Your Neighbors. And I don't want you to go and say, hey, I'm from such and such church. Don't do that. Say, I'm from this address. I'm from two doors down. I'm from three doors down. I'm your neighbor. You know that little silver car? That's me. I'm driving. Oh, well, I, I thought there was somebody in there, but I couldn't quite see. And we are living such isolated lives. We need to meet our neighbors. So I hope you take that challenge and uh, start trying to meet our neighbors. By the way, three quick steps to that operation, meet your neighbor. Number one, just go meet them. Go out of your way. Uh, if you're carrying a bunch of stuff in from the car or whatever and you see somebody, well, you go to the gym to exercise, so just hold that stuff and talk to them. <laughs> uh, if you go in and take it in and then try to come back, they're already gone. You seize every opportunity to meet somebody, be friendly, be kind. And if they're not friendly, or if they just look away or whatever, realize they're probably having a rough day, or uh, maybe you did that to them the last time and you didn't even realize it. So give them a break and the benefit of, of a doubt. And, and don't try to do something secret or sly like privily and, and creating unnecessary separation. God wants his people to be separated and sanctified unto him. As a matter of fact, I, when I was uh, in my 20s, my early 20s, I came before the Lord and I, I set aside my dreams and desires, my personal ambitions, and I presented myself before the Lord. I actually did it numerous times, but uh, very officially, I verbalized it. I gave myself to God, and I said, Lord, I'm yours. I want to do something. I want you to use me. I am yours. And that was tested nearly immediately. I had um, a very prominent businessman um, in New Guinea uh, contact me when I first came to America and, and say, I want you to help me import coffee. And I said, well, I... I don't actually even drink coffee. I don't even know anything about coffee. He said, that's okay. I just need your name. I just need to just work, and I'll give you whatever percentage you want. We can start. And all of a sudden, I thought, man, all these dreams of grandeur and all this money. I mean, I was counting money. I was bankrolling some cash. And the Lord just shut that down for me. Now, I'm not saying business is wrong. I, I don't think business is wrong. I think God's people, we ought to be out there in the lead and the forefront of all these different sectors, and we need to be living out a holy, righteous life. But I know that God spoke to me. I know God spoke to me and said, you're mine. 
don't give yourself to this and that and the other thing. And many different times I've tried to reach across that line and I felt a slap from heaven saying, no, no, no. That might be fine for everybody else, but you are to give yourself uh, to prayer and the preaching of the word. So remember, the devil always uses our words with his definitions. So don't just listen for that word. Oh, that's what they mean. No, no, no. Uh, Watch out for those uh, heresies that slide in. And then the third word there, pernicious ways. Pernicious. Pernicious has the meaning of subtle but harmful. Uh, That's the classic illustration of the of the frog in the water, that as you heat the water very slowly and incrementally, that frog won't panic. It'll just stay right in there. It'll stay in that water until it boils. In Jude chapter, well, chapter one, there's only one chapter, in verse number four, it says this, for there are certain men crept in unawares. They got in without anybody noticing who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. That is, God will allow fakes and counterfeits to come in to provide people with an option. Do you want to serve me or not? Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God. Now, I want you to remember this part. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Jude 4 Watch out for anyone that turns the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness basically means lust, carnal appetites and desires. God's grace does not facilitate our lust. It provides the power to be righteous and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The two elements presented by Jude, Anything that is uh, giving you permission to live a wicked life and anything or any message that denies the Lord Jesus Christ or God is wrong and incorrect. Watch out for this movement. It has many different names, but it's always been there. It's today kind of popular with the word free grace. And the the good uh, motto, Calvary covers it all. Well, is grace free? Everybody's nervous. Is it free to us? Yeah. God, Christ bought it, but it is free. Does Calvary cover all of sin? Yeah, it does. But when people use those models, if you're not careful, some people can use them to say, hey, it's okay. Do whatever you want. Just go for it. Enjoy yourself. That was a trick question. Everybody was nervous. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're doing well. Just take it easy. You're doing all right, okay? Let me show you this. The last verse of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The last verse, that's verse number 21. It says, that as sin hath reigned unto death. And it's talking about the overpowering element of sin in our life. That leads to what? Death. So the reign of sin, talking about a superpower in our life, some sin, even so might grace reign. So sin was reigning. Now as Christians, grace reigns. Grace reigned through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So when I become a Christian, I'm, I'm allowing Jesus Christ to reign. I'm allowing grace to reign in my life. Why is Christ empowered as the president of my, of my life? He's, he's sitting upon the throne room of the throne of my heart and in my life. Why? It's for righteousness. Well, what about sin? It's the next verse, chapter six and verse number one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And that's a very good question. It's been asked for 2,000 years. Now, wait a minute. Sin was reigning, and now Christ reigns. Sin reigned to death. Christ reigns to righteousness. Grace comes in. Well, maybe we should sin. Should we continue in sin? That grace may be, may abound. In other words, the more sin there is, the more grace there is. Maybe I should just keep on doing it. Well, let's see the next verse, Romans six and verse number two. God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin, Christians, we're dead to sin. We don't have that old president ruling over us. We're we're dead to sin. Live any longer therein. We have the new president. The new president is the Lord Jesus Christ of our life, and it is to allow us, give us uh, the power to live a righteous life. Does that make sense? Is that clicking with everybody? Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse number 14. I'm so excited about this. I'm bubbling over, and I'm shocked when everybody doesn't stand up and do jumping jacks like me. I'm like, what's going on? Uh, Jeremiah 23 and verse number 14 so this is way back uh, 700 years before Jesus Christ. So this is, a, this is a universal problem. I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the holy city. The prophets of Jerusalem, these are the, these are the good guys, the inner circle. I've seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in love lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers. It's their alliances. That none return from his wickedness. Way back, hundreds of years before Christ came, there was a false religion, even in the, in the true city, where people say, ah, oh, as long as you're part of our group, you don't have to return from your wickedness and follow God and the ways of God. You don't have to. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and as the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. And God is using the prophet Jeremiah to tell us today in our age, this goes way back. There's always been false prophets. And that fifth point, as we test a message, is the goal sanctification? Is the goal purity? Is the goal righteousness? As a matter of fact, that's why we call our church Grace Way Baptist Church. Grace Way, why? So that we can just do whatever we want because we got lots of grace along the way? No, no, no. Grace doesn't mean tolerance. It means empowerment. It means the ability to, to live a righteous life. And you can overcome any sin. You can overcome any dependency. You can, through the power of God, you can, you can be what God wants you to be. And maybe you're struggling a little bit to believe in God. But God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue and redeem you and me and to empower. The Holy Spirit is here 
to help us overcome anything, anything, no matter what. Turn to your neighbor, just say, God loves you. God loves you, and he wants to use you. That's true. God loves you, and he wants to use you. Amen. All right. So don't be surprised when people reject the spiritual elements of of righteousness and love the sensual and that which appeals to our five senses. Don't be surprised. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That's a terrifying verse. Let me give you our third point. Our first one is you analyze their what? their message. Then secondly, look for that method, which is secret, it separates, and it's subtle. And now number three, the motive, the motive. And let me just say, it's right there in verse number three. It's the word covetousness. That is, the pretenders are covetous. Now, I want you to think about where covetousness is found in the Bible. Is covetousness wrong? Yes or no? Yes, it's wrong. How do you know? Where's that found? Ten commandments. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, basically put God first. And the last commandment, which is thou shalt not covet. Those are the brackets to God's top ten. God first and don't covet. That is what's going to keep you on the straight and narrow. Now, of course, there's eight other in the middle that we, we need to have. And the Ten Commandments are not and never were the way to get to heaven. Otherwise, nobody would ever be there. It's how to live on earth. Put God first and don't covet. Because our fallen nature, we have to understand, we must realize covetousness makes us vulnerable. Now, really, before I committed myself uh, to the Lord and to be a preacher, I had a powerful desire towards uh, business and sales and all this sort of stuff. And one of the key principles of any good salesman is you must create a system of comparison. Now, probably the, the greatest genius of this was whoever marketed Steve Jobs' primary product, of course, the iPhone. Every year or so, there's a new phone that comes out. And so you have this beautiful white background and somebody with a magnificent voice with this uh, neat, articulate accent describes, well, the old camera uh, provided so many pixels, but the new camera and the new chip actually is, is uh, 45% more effective than this and the storage. And simply stated, and, duh, 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 duh. and what is that? You look at your old phone, you go, it's a stinking brick. I want that. Take my money. Here I go. Well, every single system is set up that way. So watch out for any form of covetousness. Look at verse number three. And it says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make what? Merchandise of you, whose judgment, well, that we'll get to that in a second. So watch out for covetousness. Is there covetousness in your heart? If you're covetous, And about every single day, we're all covetous. That's what marketing is all about. Oh, my stuff is no longer good. A week has passed, and I need some new stuff. 
we're covetous. We want more. That's why Psalm 23 is so beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what that means? God's going to take care of me. I have no need to be covetous. I have no need to be covetous. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare and plan. We should. But they are covetous. But nobody is going to fall prey to this unless that covetousness is developed in you. So watch out about comparison. Watch out. These are prophets. They spell their name (laughs) P-R-O-F-I-T. My friends, watch out for that covetousness in your heart. I can't emphasize that enough. One of the greatest sins that makes you a victim and vulnerable is, um, is covetousness. You will be trafficked. You will be merchandised by the influencers of our world. Now look at verse number four. There's three different illustrations, one about fallen angels, one about the old world before Noah, and then one about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've got to move along. Verse number four. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. That is, there were angels that were thrust out. And the Bible says that we're made lower than the angels, but God didn't spare the angels. When sin was found because they were covetous, God thrust them out. The second illustration in verse 5, and spared not the old world, that is the pre-diluvian, before the flood, but saved who? Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. God didn't spare the angels with covetousness. God didn't spare the old world when covetousness was found in them. And then verse number six, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that should after live ungodly. And just um, last month, Deborah and I went to Israel, and we stood on top of a a great mountain and and looked down, and we saw five ashen cities right under the the brow of of the great mountain called Sodom. And it, it's all right there. And the whole world has known about it for thousands of years. Matter of fact, we walked through these ashen cities with 90-degree angles, obviously constructed and, and piled up ashes layer upon layer with little pieces of brimstone about the size of a large, a medium-sized marble in there. Still there, we took one out, lit it on fire. It burns. This has been the token that has remained for thousands of years as a warning to all of society, lest covetousness, inordinate affections, wicked desires be found in them. Verse number seven. And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, in these last days, Listen up here. In these last days, there will be a lot of wickedness. But here in this verse, it says, Lot saw them and heard them, and it vexed 
his soul. It's to grieve. It's to make him angry. He's just almost crazed with what's going on. He feels so dirty. He feels so vile. But God delivered him. And notice that Lot is called just. Uh, Verse number eight, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He was vexed. He was grieved. His soul was sullied with all the filth going around. And be careful what you expose yourself to. The Bible says, be simple concerning evil. Simple. What does that mean? You know it's, you know it's not good. You know it's dirty. You know it's there. Don't be totally ignorant of it. But don't go in there and just start studying it and looking. And you know what? You won't even be able to smell the stink anymore. You'll get used to it. Um, A lot of people will say, oh, you know what? That sort of language doesn't bother me. Blasphemy. I hear it all the time. It doesn't bother me. That is the one of the greatest incriminating elements. When it doesn't bother you, that means you're used to it. That's terrible. That'd be like, uh, we walk into, we're walking together and there's a horrible odor. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? And you're like, ah, oh, don't worry about that. You won't even smell it after a while. Well, that smell is a warning to me. There's something here that's not right. It's not good. We need to get away from it. And so keep your soul, keep your conscience aware of things that are not right. It's dangerous when you get used to it. Look at uh, verse number nine. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. I love that first phrase. Let's read that first to that first comma together. Here we go. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. God has delivered me and God will deliver you out of temptations. Uh, I'm 50 years old and I, I can look back on these five decades and say, wow, God has done amazing things. God has delivered me over and over again. How is it that I didn't get snared and trapped? And how is it that I wasn't just pummeled with? Listen, God delivered me and God will deliver you. Trust him. Follow him. Lean into him. And we're going to pray in just a few minutes, but I want you to prepare your heart to lean into God and follow him. He will deliver you. And verse number 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. That is, these are the chief people that will be reserved for judgment. Pernicious are they, self-willed, They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. So we need to watch out for that self-will, that arrogance, that little rebel in us. We need to watch out and be careful about speaking evil of those in authority. Watch out for the sins of presumption, despising governments and authority. It doesn't mean we're in agreement with everything. I mean, I'm a preacher, I read the word of God and I look out the window. I say, this doesn't all line up just right. But I am very careful about coming out with these accusations. We need to be careful. 
Why? Because there's a whole spiritual realm going on. Now, let me just wrap this up for us and we'll be done. Simply saying, there are false prophets. There are those that would take advantage of your heart and mine heart. There are those that are in prominent places. And when you look for the devil, don't forget to look in the pulpit and other places of influence. You need to analyze that message. Is the Bible the source? Is Jesus the Savior? Is the gospel the subject? Is grace the means of salvation? And is the goal sanctification and righteousness? Analyze that message. Look at the methods and look at the motive. Is there any covetousness in my heart or in their hearts? Why? Because God doesn't spare. He didn't spare the fallen angels. God didn't spare the old world. God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And he won't spare a false prophet. He won't spare you and me. That's what he's getting at. The last verse I want to give you. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 32. This is an amazing thing. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. He that spared not his own son. God didn't spare his own son. That's Jesus. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God never cuts corners on holiness. When he wanted to forgive you and me, humanity, he needed a perfect sacrifice. That was Jesus. He came, he lived a perfect life, he bled and died, he rose again the third day. And in our humanistic minds, well, I mean, God, would, God wouldn't put his own son on the cross. Oh, yes, he did. And all of that culminated when God turned away his face. He couldn't even look at his own son in his greatest hour of need. And Jesus on the cross dying for you and me. The Bible says, becoming sin for us. And my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He spared not his own son. Away with this idea that grace is just tolerant. God spares not. But in that same measure, God takes care of the sin problem, even when that sin is on his son. Jesus committed no sin. He became sin for us. In the same measure, when we come before him and we say, God, I'm in need, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What does that mean? That means the needs that you have God wants to supply. That's why you don't need to be covetous. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm not going to be covetous because God gave Jesus. And if God gave Jesus, he'll give me a job or a car or a spouse or, a, or whatever it is. So would you trust him? Would you trust God? God's going to give you what you need. You don't need to be grabby, desperate, or maybe specifically sinful. Trust Him. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference.